Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, uh, next episode of the Life Success and Legacy podcast. We're having a little fun before we push the recording button. This shirt, if you guys are, uh, if you watch TV at all, um, there's some Geico commercials going on right now that um, are hilarious. They talk, it's a, a guy who's, he's helping people not become their parents. Just be, before we came on, Crawford goes, hey, have you seen that commercial? I was like, oh yeah, man, I love it. He's like, yeah, your shirt reminds me of the guy. <laughs> I said, I got this at Costco and I got another one just like it. Oh boy. <laughs> Mike Everett, how are you doing today? Good morning, Chris Bay. Awesome. Getting rolling. Getting rolling. All right. Well, this, um, we take a little bit of a turn um, today in becoming your own banker. The reason I say that is leading up to here, it's been very foundational and very um, almost personal finances for people. But today, Nelson starts to take a little bit of a dip into business. And I even remember early on, we tell people, hey, read at least through page 50, you know, yeah. uh, get at least to page 50. Um, why was that for you? Did you have a reason for that, that you said, hey, just read, you know, get at least through page 50? Well, really, it was just like what you said. Most of this has to do with personal thought process. Yeah. And, you know, when you start throwing a, a, a different a viewpoint from a business standpoint from part four on, then what ends up happening, first of all, up through page 50, your mind is going to be expanded greatly. Yeah. It's going to take some twists and turns. And now that we're going to jump into equipment financing, if you got somebody to read through the whole thing that wasn't necessarily a business owner and they didn't have that mindset mm -hmm. of thinking like a business owner this particular section through the end of the book is going to look be a little bit difficult especially the equipment financing portion yeah just be, just because of context and all that that's so right for our listeners we are on uh, in the fifth edition of becoming your own banker we're on page 51 and it is part four equipment financing in this my goodness. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've read this and I 
still learn from it every single time. This section is jam-packed with information and that which also brings up a ton of questions. And a um, couple things I want to point out as we jump into this. One is, again, Nelson wrote, gave examples and wrote um, for people to help them shift their mindset. So even in this equipment financing, again, he's giving examples that he wouldn't necessarily teach it that way, but he's trying to bring people along. And in fact, you'll even see that he, he gives multiple examples of equipment financing. It's kind of mm -hmm. like watching the wheels turn inside this business owner's head and how he initially thinks about it. And then he, he learns a little bit more and he takes another step and he learns a little bit more and he takes another step. And so we get to kind of see that process take place. And I've experienced that personally. I think most of our clients do as well. Yeah. So big picture on this, Mike, um, the equipment financing reinforces Nelson's principles, of course. Right. percent. So what are some of those key principles? And then are there any nuances that you think the equipment financing really highlights? Well, uh, we're going to get back to some basics here. And this is stuff that everybody's heard on these podcasts. Number one, you got to think long-term. Mm -hmm. If you're not thinking long-term, I'm just telling you what, IBC and or the equipment financing section will not work. So thinking long-term, uh, what's number two? Uh, don't be afraid to capitalize or capitalize generously. Yeah. Um, that is key to a business owner. Um, and, and then once you get your capitalization phase in place, um, don't steal from your system. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea is the same in the first section of this entire book, in the first three sections. And what he's doing is he's just expanding it. Um, so wait a second here. Number four, don't do business with banks because what we're doing is we're shifting these dollars from a finance company over to you personally through your own system and rethink your thinking. Oh my goodness. This will, this will make the the corners and the edges of your brain just expand out to where you'll feel like your brain will explode. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, really what it is, is it's just taking what we've learned so far, um, creating our own personal private yeah. banking system. And now we're bringing into it a business element to it. Um, and, and that's really exciting for those people who are business owners. And when you say think long-term, we're talking about a guy who's what, 30 years old. That's right. Out, and, it, and it carries out until he's what, 85, 86 years old. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, let's jump into it. All right. I'm going to go. take, taking a glance at the clock here to make sure, because we could go on and on and we don't want to make too, make this too big of a chunk. So we're so going to try to just tell the people that are listening to the podcast right now, this is going to be a three, four, possibly a five part series mm -hmm. just in these 13 pages. Yeah. So keep track of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So uh, Nelson starts off, he says, you know, so now that we've established the fact that if you use a dividend paying whole life insurance policy, it has all the characteristics of a banking system 
let's refresh our memory of the steps it takes to get into the banking business <laughs> and then use the system to enhance the things that you're already doing within your regular line of business. What are those things? Got to select a plan, right? That's it. We're okay. going to find We're going to find the right amount of dollars to flood load into premiums on a properly structured IBC policy. Right. And so for our listeners, do they have to go out and do all the research to find the company that's going to work for them? They do not. We've already done it for you. Right. And we got options for them. That's right. right. We, we've done that. There's, there's a handful of companies that are great options for people to utilize That's right. IBC with. Okay. And what I love is the, um, the co-generation term that Nelson talks about. He's like, you don't have to go out and create this whole thing yourself. Mm -mm. It's already done. They have the already hired, done. Yeah. The hired help is already there. You just tap into the system. Yeah. You're actually tapping into an engine that's already in place. We're just showing you how to turbocharge it. So once you find the company, you get the policy in place. The next step is you got to put some money into it. That reminds me of a principle. <laughs> Capitalization. Capitalization. Got to put some dollars in. Yep. Now he talks about, and you want to talk about the capitalization and, and why does he say do it for a certain amount of time? And is that what we experience with our clients? Well, it's very basic, but the reason why we have this capitalization period. So let's go back to the prior sections and we had the twins. They capitalized it for what? They, they capitalized their system for seven years. In the equipment financing, he, he uh, capitalizes it for four years. And your question is why? Mm -hmm. Because of page 28, the human problems. <laughs> if, we, if we don't put in our mind that this capitalization period is in play, guess what we'll do with that money? We will spend it. I promise you, you will. Now, is this what we do with our clients? It is not right. because of the wind current. So once people get to understand that we're actually, this is all about cash flow. And as business owners, as, as mom and dad are learning about this, we have to understand cash flow. So when, when we say capitalization period, yeah, there's got to be that capitalization period. But if we can start to reduce some debts and shift dollars from outside debt to inside debt, then all of a sudden we can show people how to utilize the system on the very front end of their system, of their banking policies. Nelson even goes back to the grocery store. He's like, you know, whoever heard of, of a grocery store owner who doesn't want to fill up um, their inventory on another gondola, another set of shelves, right? That's exactly right. So from a IBC standpoint, you're talking about dollars. So if you've got, if you're thinking about a grocery store and you're thinking about the shelving or the gondola, the more stuff that you have on those shelves, the more you can sell them and the more money you make. So if you're looking at it from an IBC policy standpoint, the more dollars you shift into this thing, the more dollars you have available to use. It's, it's almost too basic, but yet you, nobody thinks like this. You talk all the time about how we're going to teach you to use your dollars as your inventory. That's it. 
So if you think of your dollars as inventory as a business owner, do you want to have a lot of inventory moving? Yeah, absolutely. Right. The more times you turn the inventory, the more money you make. That's it's right. Re- it's very, very simple. And I love the simple. In fact, um, the 12th, let's tell you, is the uh, 14th. So two days ago was something like a National Simplicity Day. And we, we highlighted that in our newsletter that went yeah. out to people. Because this is so simple. And Nelson actually talks about that in this, this next, um, he says, it, there's no licenses required, no customers to seek out, no accounting, <laughs> no engineering. It's all been done beforehand by the life insurance company, your hired help. That's it. It's so simple. Okay, Mike, we're going to jump into this guy now, and we're going to do the first example. Now, in the first example, is he actually financing anything? He is not. He's okay. just create, he's creating a system. That's all he's, he's doing. He's just learning. And this is really what happens. I just did a coaching session yesterday with a client of ours up in Nebraska. Yep. And they just, they're in the first year of starting their IBC yep. system. He's got a little bit of cash value sitting in his policies. He hasn't taken any loans and he's got a bunch of money sitting in his business account. Yep. And he's got to finance some stuff. He's like, man, I want to get, I want to use some loans and things like that. And he said, well, if I take a loan from my policy, I've got enough money. I could pay it right back right away. So what's the point? And I said, you, you got to think long-term and you got to capitalize right now. You have such a small amount sitting in these he policies. Does. It's going to take some time to build it up where you're really financing things using your system. Now, just touching on that fact alone, because, you know, when we were all in the first part of the book, most people's policies are so small in the first one or two, or even sometimes three years, that there's no way to infuse enough dollars into these things in order to get a larger amount to be able to pay off a full car or all of the credit card debt or Piece even a equipment or yeah. That's exactly right. So um, this is exactly why Nelson suggested in the twins, seven years, and in the equipment financing, four years, because what you're going to do is if you're injecting dollars through premium deposits into your IBC system, what you're doing is you're creating a larger pool of money that you have access to. But yet, do our clients do it that way? No, they don't. Could they do it that way? Absolutely. It's just that most people have so much early on debt that we want to try to take care of early Mm -hmm. to free them up to be able to use those dollars to put more dollars through their system. And we tell these, these, some of these um, stories to give context. In this case, this is a family who doesn't have little debts that you can turn right away. They're big chunks, right? Because yep. it's a big piece of equipment or, you know, a big, um, a big order of inventory, those kinds of things. And so it's not something where they can turn the wind current right away. So the <laughs> capitalization phase that Nelson talks about is so much more important for this, this particular situation because the debts are so big. Okay, That's right. let's transition into uh, this 30-year-old man and he's in the logging business, mm-hmm. okay? And so- Start walking us through this, Mike. So 
basically you got a 30 year old business owner that uh, literally he, he said, okay, I get it. I tell you what I'd like to do is, and I'm actually going to transition over a couple of pages here. We're going to go to page 54 in the book because for people who need a, an actual visual, yeah, this is he, good. He, here it is. So you got a 30 year old guy and he's, He's having a little bit of difficulty in his mind making the transition to IBC. So he says, I tell you what, what I'd like to do is put $40,000 a year for four years into this thing. Now, if you go up to the top left side of this illustration, you'll notice that he's a preferred non-smoker and he's putting $15,000 in what we call base premium. This is the life insurance portion of this. And then he's going to put $25,000 into what we call the paid up additions rider. That 15, that 25 is the $40,000 that he is going to put in, in policy premium deposits into his system. It's not difficult, but we would walk people through why that is the way it is. And by the way, we probably have a number of people who are listening who are not just possible uh, IBC uh, users and clients, but we have some agents that could possibly be listening. And mm -hmm. I want everybody to pay attention for one second here. If you look at the percentage breakdown that Nelson used in the equipment financing uh, guys policy, you will be able to understand why life success and legacy designs the policies a certain way. Is there other options? There is, but I'm going to tell you what, the purity of IBC and why we do what we do is so important. And if it was important to Nelson and he put it in his book, then I'm telling you, we should probably pay attention. Sorry, that was a little side note because I know there's other people listening. So we call, the, we call those sermonettes. Okay, yeah, well, I went, I went there for a second. <laughs> okay, so you got $40,000 and this guy, he, he hasn't made the full transition in his mind yet. So because of the way we've been trained in our minds, really, we see our life insurance policy as a bill. We don't see it as a depository. We don't see it as a place that is just holding money. So over four years, he puts the $40,000 in and he says, you know what? Hey, I, I, I don't want to put any more money in this thing. So he stops at year four. And year five, if you go to this illustration, you will notice that the net annual outlay for the premium column in the third column from the left is a zero. Mm -hmm. That means from year five, all the way down to year 36, from basically age 34 to age 66, he's putting zero dollars into this thing. So he's got 160 grand into his policy premium deposits. Very, very simple. Now, 
here's the here's the caveat in this whole thing. If you go over to the third column from the right, he has one hundred and fifty seven three hundred and sixty three dollars in cash value available or inside his policy, so to speak, on deposit mm -hmm. with the life insurance company. And he also has $1.684 million in death benefit. Now, from a strictly life insurance standpoint, this is an awesome plan. It's done everything. It has all of the features. It's done everything that we've asked it to do. But yet in year five, what does he want to want to not do? He doesn't want to pay the bill. He doesn't want to pay <laughs> the bill. That's perfect. So you will notice that from year five on, he just doesn't want to put any money in this thing. So I'm going to slide all the way over to the far right-hand column because the premiums have to be paid somehow. It's a life insurance plan. How in the world can you design a policy to do something like this? Well, you'll notice in year five that the death benefit goes from 1.684 million to 1.651 million. So basically what's happening is they're taking the dividend from that year and what they call reduced paid up insurance and they're combining it and they're going back to the life insurance company. They're doing this all internally inside the policy to pay the $15,000 base premium. Let me recap that. Do it. So each year with a mutual company, when they make a profit, there are dividends. That's correct. And with a mutual company, those dividends go to the um, policy owners instead of the stockholders like they would in a stock company. That's correct. And you have choices with those dividends. They can be written out to you. You can pocket it. Yep. Every you, can, year. you can take it and buy up more death benefit with no fees, no commissions tied to it. Yep. Right. And in this case, what they're doing is they're taking that uh, uh, that dividend and they're using it towards the premium because he doesn't want to pay the bill anymore. That's correct. He doesn't but want to make might, his premiums. But it's not enough to cover the full premium. So what they're also doing is they're they're decreasing the death benefit by a little bit, adding that to the dividend to cover the premium for that fifth year. Did I get it? You did. The only thing okay. is... They, they, they call that reduced paid up insurance. So what they're doing is they're just basically saying, you know what, our responsibility to you, the policy owner is less because what we're gonna do is we're gonna use a portion of the life insurance along with the dividend to pay the premium. Mm -hmm. It's really that simple. Okay, so we've made it to that point. What's next in, in this guy's thought process? Well, he, he still didn't want to pay the premiums. Right. <laughs> so if you look at this from year five all the way to year, and I'm going to go to year 15, 16. Here, let me put a piece of paper over this thing here because I, I look at this so often. But if you look at this 
down to year 16, the premium, excuse me, the death benefit continues to reduce. But you'll notice that over time, the reduction in the death benefit becomes less and less. Why? Because the dividends are growing in, in the policy. Mm-hmm. So what so ends the up dividend, hap- The dividends are, are covering a larger portion of that premium. So less reduced paid up insurance is having to be used to cover that premium. 100%. Mm-hmm. But you will notice though, in year 17, how much is the dividend? guess what? The transition right there in year 17, the dividend is enough to pay the base premium Mm -hmm. on the life insurance plan. And what ends up happening to the death benefit? It begins to increase. Now, just for fun, (laughs) this is only just for fun, What has happened to the net cash value every single year? Increasing. Oh, so he's had available dollars to borrow against his policy all along the way and hasn't taken advantage or accessed the dollars that he has available to himself. But why not? Because in his thought process, all he was trying to do was is to build a great big pool of money so somewhere down the road, he has access to a giant pool of money. That's really the process. If you're thinking from a retirement standpoint, you know, we go into work at age 25 or 30 at a job. And what do they first tell you about? The 401k plan. You need to start setting your money aside. So here's exactly what he did was he utilized his dividend paying whole life insurance policy as a depository or a quote unquote retirement plan, a place to hold cash so he could have access to these dollars down the road. By the way, for anybody still listening, this is the equipment financing illustration one. Right. We're, we're so slow in this thing. He's not even financing anything. No, he's just <laughs> using it as a depository. But what did he do? He put the $160,000 in, $40,000 for four years. And he said, you know what? All I'm going to do is I'm going to leave 100% of my premiums on deposit with the life insurance company and let the insurance company, the hired help, handle all of the details of the life insurance policy for me. I don't want to touch it. Now, one thing, Mike, that, that um, I don't think we touched on yet is he was putting 40,000 in to begin with. So he was doing the base and the PUA. That's correct. Starting the fifth year, not only does he let the internal dollars of the policy cover the premium, he does not fund the PUA. He does not. He doesn't have to anymore. The only responsibility, go ahead. you got a question. Well, I was going to say, why? Why would he not continue? Because everybody talks about the PUA. That's what, that's what you know, flood loads the, the policy with, with cash. Why would he not continue to do that beyond the, beyond the fourth premium? Well, number one, the PUA is not a required, it's not a required part of the policy. So if he has the idea of 
it's a bill, he wants to stop doing that as soon as he can. That's as one thing. Quickly. But there's and, more. Yeah. And what ends up happening is the internal uh, growth of the policy will happen at a greater rate by taking the paid up addition and not putting those dollars towards that premium. Mm -hmm. So you get a higher internal growth in the policy by removing the paid up addition rider at year five. Oh, by the way, that's exactly what we do with all of our clients. We get rid of that PUA. So th there is a method to our madness. Yeah, we, we decrease it down to a hundred dollar minimum, which yep. I like um, be, that, in, that some of the companies allow us to do that. You, if you put just a hundred dollars towards the PUA, it keeps it as an open bucket in case you get some extra money. That's and you right. Need a place to, to dump it. Um, okay, so Mike, you've explained what he's done so far. Yep. Right. We're only year seventeen, by the way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so take us take us further. Okay, so just so you can understand this, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow through from year seventeen down to year thirty six. You will notice that obviously the dividend's growing. Everything's getting bigger, bigger, bigger. And I'm going to go down to year 36. By the way, his dividend at year 36 is 71942 which is more than enough to pay the $15,000 premium. You will notice each and every year that his cash value was starting to grow at a fairly rapid rate. I'm going to go up a few years. In year 31, it's growing 80,000, then 90,000. And by the time you get to year 36, it grows by more than $100,000. But he has $2.4 million worth of life insurance and he has $1.5 million worth of cash value. Is this a great plan or is this a great plan? It's unbelievable. So he goes, well, hey, you know what? I got this big bucket of money. He's age 66 now. And what does he want to start doing? He wants some retirement income. income. That's right. That's right. Some passive income. Well, in this particular example, what Nelson did was he didn't show these as loans against the policy. What they started doing was they started taking annual withdrawals. Mm -hmm. And if you look at this, he takes $92,000 a year out to age 85. And I, I say this all the time. Nelson makes everybody die at age 85. <laughs> well, he's, if you go down to the bottom right side of this, he has taken out $1.588 million more than what he paid in, in the life insurance premiums. How much did he put into this thing? $160,000. He left all of the deposit on, on tap with the life insurance company and let them take care of everything internally. And he makes you die at age 85 and still passed on 2.407 to the next generation. By the way, this is an awesome plan. Yeah. 
everything about this makes sense. So if I was looking at this and, and I would have known about this when I was 25 or 30 years old, would I have wanted to do something like this? I'd, I'd have figured out a way. Now there's some, some differences in how he has shown this, how this equipment financing guy has set this up and used it. Um, let's contrast that with how we would actually show people how to use it. What are some of those differences of what Nelson has shown us versus what we would actually do in practice? Well, um, I guess Nelson in this particular example, and we're going to get back to some super amount of basics is um, they capitalized it for the four years, mm -hmm. which is awesome. And then didn't pay additional premiums from year five on. Right. We would show people how to actually make additional premium payments. Um, number two is he's got $157,000 in, in cash value available that he could borrow against the policy. We would show somebody how to access those dollars to be able to shift that outside debt to inside debt and how to actually utilize those payments that they were making to somebody else back to themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're talking about inventory, which is money, we're just putting more inventory on the shelves that a client would have availability to more dollars as life happened. And then what, what would we coach them differently on how to pay the, the premium compared to what Nelson used here with reduced paid up additions and dividends? We would show them either how to take a policy loan to pay future premiums or to pay policy premiums out of pocket. Yep. I, and I mean, why? That, and, and why would, why would we, why do we coach people to do that versus what Nelson shows as an example here? Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to maintain the policy. <clears throat> we're trying to utilize dollars to put back into the thing. So really what we're doing is, we're not just building the cash value, but we're also building the death benefit all along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, the, the, one of the crazy questions we always ask, what's more important, cash or life insurance? Well, 99% of the people say cash. Yeah. But what if you get both? So we've got the cash available. We can either pay the premiums out of pocket or utilize a policy loan to pay the premiums. But then we're building the cash, or excuse me, we're building the death benefit as well as the cash value all along the life of the policy. The, the, the last part of this is in, in all of Nelson's examples, he shows people utilizing withdrawals mm -hmm. at the time of retirement and or utilizing withdrawals at the, at the tail end of their pol uh, policy life. We would show people how to actually use policy loans to do this. But could either be done? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The caveat is you have a certain amount of basis that you've paid. Okay, so how much premium did he pay? He paid $160,000. Define basis for those who aren't familiar with that term real quick. So the basis is the, the premiums paid. I, I'm getting real, that's basic. Mm -hmm. But the basis is the, the $15,000 and the $25,000 base in PUA premiums, $40,000 a year, one sixty dollars was the total premiums paid. So that is the basis mm -hmm. of the policy. How much so, they put in. 
That's it. How much you put in. But you will notice by the time he gets to age 67, he's taken $184,000 out. That's when he's got to start paying taxes on the dollars that he is withdrawing from this policy. Then it becomes a investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we start having to pay taxes. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people think through how to alleviate future taxes out of this thing. Once again, all of the features, all of the things of the life insurance policy, the cogeneration that you talked about earlier is all in place. What we're trying to do is we're tapping into a system that's been in place for 260 years and showing people how to utilize it in today's society, today's market. Yeah. Woo. Uh, one, one final thing, because we probably need to wrap up this one. We'll come back to it in our next uh, edition. Um, this is a paid up at 65, I believe. It is. And, and can you talk about that? Because sometimes we have people who come to us and say, well, Nelson used a paid up at 65, but you guys aren't using that. Can you talk <laughs> about that a little bit? Well, a, a, lot, of the, a lot of the companies that uh, are utilizing IBC now are usually at a, a paid up at 90 or 92, somewhere in there. And the reason being is uh, back when Nelson wrote his book, people were dying younger. <laughs> and so what's ended up happening is the life insurance companies realize that. And what they've done is they've, number one, they've pushed out the premium paying years to a longer period because people are living longer. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact that this was written in 99 what were interest rates? What were rates of return? They were much, much higher than they are today. So a policy like this, if we ran an illustration on it today, given our economic times that we're in currently, it would not illustrate like this. No, it would look completely different. And sometimes yeah. if you get a CPA or an engineer and they're looking at the numbers, they get a little bit hung up on it. But I'm going to tell you what, it has zero to do with the numbers. Are the numbers important? Absolutely. But if you're getting hung up on the numbers, then you're not understanding the process, the so strategy. Three, it's not about rates of return. It's not about investments. It's about controlling the banking system. It totally is. Mm -hmm. Man, this is good stuff. We could keep on going, but we try to keep these a, a, a certain length of time for folks. Um, that was great stuff, Mike Everett. That oh, was Chris, awesome I love stuff. It. We're going we're gonna to keep digging into this, and we may go back through it and say, hey, we, we want to pull back something from that first couple of pages <laughs> that we missed. Oh, yeah, we'll come uh, back. Yeah, this is good stuff. For our listeners, thanks again for joining us. Um, if you do not have a copy, a hard copy, because you know, the CDs and the audibles and those things, they don't have the charts and the illustrations and things in them. So we highly recommend that you get a hard copy of Becoming Your Own Banker. And now that we're dipping our toe into um, what it looks like for business owners, we'd really recommend you get a copy of the case for IBC because it, it goes even further into situations for business owners. We're having a ton of fun doing this. We're, we're grateful for those of you who, uh, who join us uh, and listen in. Um, check out our website, lifesuccesslegacy.com, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time.